early in his earthly ministry, Jesus left his adopted home of Capernaum, where he had set up his center, as it were, where he would do his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. And in Capernaum, he had preached and healed many who were ill. He had cast out demons. And then from there, he went to the synagogues in the surrounding towns, and he was preaching and healing and casting out demons. And it got to the point that everywhere Jesus went, he drew such large crowds that he couldn't even get into the city if they heard that that he was coming. And so he couldn't enter a town publicly. And so he ministered in the countryside for a time. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum, the people heard that he was home. So an overwhelming crowd gathered at the house. And as Jesus was teaching God's word, the house filled with people, the street out in front of the house filled with people. And then of all things, there came these four guys carrying a paralytic on a stretcher. But they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. Now, we need to know a little bit about houses, how houses were made in Capernaum in that day. They were made of stone, plastered stone walls, plastered over, and they had flat roofs. And there was a stairway going up to the roof. And it wouldn't be like a wide ADA accessible stairway. You know, sometimes there were just stones jutting out of the other stones. And so they'd go on the top of the roof, had flat roofs, and the roof was often used for a place of rest and quiet. So the four stretcher bearers knew that what they had to do to get their friend to Jesus. The roof lent itself to what they had to do. The roof consisted of flat beams that spanned across from two walls, and they were about three feet apart, thereabouts, and then they would fill and pack in brushwood and pack it with clay and smooth the clay, clay over, much like you would smooth a, a concrete surface today. So it was the easiest thing in the world to dig out the filling between these two beams. And it was easy, once again, to repair it again. So it wasn't like they were demolishing the whole house to, to, to do this. And so the four men took the paralytic and the stretcher up the steps onto the roof, and they started digging out between the beams to let their friend down directly at the feet of Jesus. Now, I I imagine as an architect, I'm thinking, boy, that would have caused a commotion. You know, if I was teaching and all of a sudden stuff was falling from the ceiling. And and then I think of Peter, because this was Peter's house. (laughs) This was Peter's house, and somebody's up there taking my roof apart. Why are they doing that? And Jesus was probably standing near where the debris was falling because uh, it says they dropped him down right at the feet of Jesus. And I can gently see Jesus putting his hand on, shoulder, on Peter's shoulder to hold him back and says to say, Peter, it's okay. It's okay. And I like what William Barclay describes this. He says, When Jesus saw the faith of the stretcher bearers that laughed at barriers, he must have had a smile on his face. He must have had a smile on his face. And he said to the man on the stretcher, Son, your sins are forgiven. Of course, the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't like this at all, that somebody like Jesus would would forgive sins. And they were thinking in their hearts, you know, who is this to forgive sins? And Jesus knew what their hearts were. So basically, they'd accused Jesus of blasphemy for forgiving sins. And so Jesus said to the paralytic, pick up your pallet and go home. And as the man headed, healed man made his way through the crowd, Luke says they were all amazed and they glorified God. 
Now, we don't know much about the men who carried the stretcher. We don't know who they were. We don't know what they did for a living. We don't know what their names were. We don't know if they were a bunch of old guys or a bunch of young men. We don't know if they were rich or poor. We don't know if they were educated or not. We don't even know if they really knew each other. If they were family or friends, son carrying their father, maybe they were uncles carrying their nephew. We don't even know the duration of their faith in Jesus. Were they newly converted that very day? Or did they hear Jesus speaking that day, run home and heal the, and bring the paralytic? Or they'd heard him before when Jesus was in town. And had they surrendered their lives to Jesus months before? We don't know really very much about these four men, do we? We do know that they were concerned about a sick friend who couldn't help himself. A man who couldn't get to Jesus himself. We know that four men were willing and physically able to pick this man in his bed up and carry him to where Jesus was preaching. They knew that they had to get their friend to the feet of the Savior. They were burdened enough to go and do whatever it took. This morning we're going to look at the spiritually gifted believers. Those believers in Jesus Christ whom God gives very specific gifts who are willing to pick up the corner of a stretcher in order to help someone do what he or she can't do for herself. We're going to look at those who are willing to take hold of somebody else and help them do what they need to do. And we'll be looking at those gifted believers who work quietly behind the scenes so that other believers can do what God has called them to do. And these are believers who have been given the spiritual gifts of mercy, helps, and service. You know, a few people become famous for helping others. A few do. We're doing Operation Christmas Child through Samaritan's Purse. Franklin Graham is very famous for helping others. Or President Jimmy Carter uh, with Habitat for Humanity, helping others through Habitat for Humanity. And in between hospital stays the last couple of weeks, he's still teaching his Sunday school class. And, you know, so we, we know of him, or football players like J.J. Watts and, and Tim Tebow, but very few do become famous. But those with the gifts of mercy and helps and service are the most prevalent bunch in the body of Christ. Those who are gifted pastors or evangelists or teachers or administrators are few in comparison to those who are gifted with mercy, helps, and service. The majority of God's spiritually gifted children are ministering quietly, often behind the scenes, often one-on-one, but they are needed to keep the whole body healthy. And for the church to be and for the church to do what Jesus wants it to be and to do in this world, we need these folks. So please turn once again to Romans chapter 12, (coughs) excuse me, verse 8, the 12th chapter of Romans, the 8th verse. And this is just to point out where we see in Paul's list of the spiritual gifts, the gift of mercy. And he's saying, according to the grace given to us, each one is to exercise or use his spiritual gift. In verse 8, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, who he, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He or she who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, on the list of the spiritual gifts that I handed out a few weeks ago, The gift of mercy was defined this way. 
And it was a short because to get all the gifts and give at least a definition on one sheet of paper, <laughs> it's greatly boiled down. But mercy, the God-given ability to sympathize with and minister to the miserable. So I want to give you an expanded definition from C. Peter Wagner, and I believe I put these in the, in the outline this morning. He defines it this way. The gift of mercy is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to feel genuine empathy and compassion for individuals, both Christian and non-Christians, who suffer distressing physical, mental, or emotional problems, and to translate that compassion into cheerfully done deeds that reflect Christ's love and alleviate the suffering. And so first of all, we see, according to Romans 12, 8, the gift of mercy is showing mercy. It's an act. It shows mercy. It's not just empathy or sympathy or pity or feeling badly for somebody. It's an action. It does something about it. And secondly, the gift of mercy carries a particular attitude with it. It shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I've talked about this before. The Greek word translated cheerfulness or cheerful, God loves a cheerful giver, is the Greek word hilaritos. We get the word hilarity from it. God loves a hilarious giver. You know, well, that doesn't mean exactly what we take it to mean today, but it does have a particular attitude. Hilaritos means gracious, friendly. I think of the word winsome. In the New Testament, or in the ancient Greek, the word hilaritos was used of the bright color of gold when it was cast into a furnace and it would glow. Hilaritos. The merciful person does not come into a sick room and, oh, it's all lost, this is horrible, what are we going to do, kind of countenance and attitude. Sure, the situation can be horrible, but the gift of mercy brings the light and countenance of God's love into, and compassion into that situation. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of the Beatitudes is there's a special blessing for those who are merciful. Blessed are the merciful, why? For they shall obtain mercy. The merciful are happy and blessed. That's what the word means. So mercy is what we express when we are led by God to be compassionate in our attitudes, in our words, and in our actions. Now all of us as believers are to be merciful people, right? But those with the gift of mercy, they just have the special spirit-enabled ability to, to minister in this way. And it's more than feeling sympathy towards someone. Mercy, mercy is cheerful love enacted. Mercy desires to answer the immediate needs of others, alleviate the suffering, the loneliness, and grief. Mercy addresses physical, emotional, financial, and spiritual crises with generous, self-sacrificial love. Mercy is the champion of the lowly, the champion of the poor, the exploited, the forgotten, and often acts on their behalf. There's a good example of showing mercy in the 20th chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. In the 20th chapter of Matthew, Jesus is leaving Jericho. And Jericho is where Zacchaeus was up in a tree, and Jesus looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, I must go to your house today. And Zacchaeus was converted. And Jesus is still going up to Jerusalem where he will be crucified as he leaves Jericho. And it's, it's just interesting to me, 
in his journey to the cross, got to get to the cross, got to be there on a particular day in all the history of the world. One particular Passover, but Jesus consistently stops and shows mercy. And in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 20, it says, As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two men were sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, and they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, you've got to like the crowd. I'm just saying that facetiously. Verse 31, the crowd sternly, sternly told them to be quiet. Shut up. Mercy is God's ministry to the miserable, whom the crowds not only try to ignore, they try to shut them up. They try to get them out of their lives. Yeah, we'll drop a couple of coins in on the way to the, in their cup on the way to the cup, the, the temple, and hopefully that'll just shut them up. But the blind men cried out, Lord, but they cried out all the more, verse 31, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. I really like that. Followed him. I take that. They followed him all the way to Jerusalem. At least, uh, you know, they were disciples of Jesus Christ. They followed him at that point. But notice that the blind men associated mercy not with a feeling, but with an action. Their physical problem was they couldn't see, so to them, the act of mercy was Christ's intervention to restore their sight. Mercy is more than a feeling. It's always followed by an action. The gift has practical application of active service as well as responsibility to do so cheerfully. Those with the gift of mercy are likely those who feel compelled to serve in compassion-oriented ministry can range from many forms, from serving widows and orphans to, to assisting the homeless, helping those with addictions and, and disabilities. But there's something the rest of us need to be aware of, and this is true with all the gifts. You know, it's not only do people with the gift of mercy need to know what God is doing in their lives, but there's something that we need to be aware of about our brothers and sisters who have the gift of mercy. Those with the gift of mercy can be easily discouraged. Easily discouraged. While the expression of showing mercy can vary, the Bible's focus is on those with the gift of mercy, expressing it with cheerfulness. And this is likely mentioned because those involved in mercy-related efforts can easily be discouraged. Even though those with the gift of mercy are easily drawn to helping others who are in very difficult and desperate situations, it's also easy to become disappointed with the outcome of serving those in great need, isn't it? For example, when someone relapses into addiction, those who have helped the person often feel that, well, I must have failed in some way. And because showing mercy also involves helping those who are suffering or are sick, discouragement can take a toll due to the inevitable pain or death that might follow that will result in the lives of some of those who are served, and we've talked about before. The word compassion, Jesus has compassion. Compassion in people, the word compassion literally means to suffer with. If you really have compassion for somebody, you hurt with that person. You actually feel something of the pain. 
And then there's another thing that kind of goes along with it, and it's because they feel things so deeply and, and really personally in a lot of regards. Those people with the gift of mercy, and I'm not criticizing here, I'm just saying this is the way it is. Many uh, tend to be intolerant of people who are critical of others. You know, especially those who'll say, well, they made their bed, they can lie in it, they can do this or that, and those kind of things. You know, they're, <laughs> you know, they're intolerant of that kind of attitude. They're intolerant to people who are indifferent to other people's needs. And they are very sensitive to the insensitive and judgmental remarks that others say about those who are suffering. And when those who have the gift of mercy are the targets of criticism or complaint or hurtful words, they feel those words very deeply and take it very personally. And so all that just seems to go with the gift of mercy. And I thought, okay, what's, what's the best passage of Scripture in the New Testament where we can help people with the gift of mercy have a kingdom perspective and understand, you know, uh, this is something the gift, people with the gift of mercy can keep in mind. And, and I thought of Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40, the 25th chapter of Matthew beginning at the 34th verse. Because here we see the Lord, Jesus Christ, takes the ministry of showing mercy and lending a hand personal. Personal. He takes it up to himself. Remember when, when Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus and he was thrown down with the blinding light and those kind of things. And What did Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting all these Christians in Damascus? He said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And it's the same way with showing mercy. And this is helpful so we get that kingdom perspective and where we see where Christ is involved in this. Matthew chapter 25, verse, verse 34. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed... Blessed are the merciful. Remember that? You who are blessed in my Father. You are blessed if you are merciful. Inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. You're going to inherit the kingdom from the foundation of the world. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. And, you know, th this kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom where Christ is king and all is righteousness and good and, and holy. So, what about this? Verse 34, 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, what? You did it to me. You did it to me. Well, when we come to the spiritual gifts of helps and service, we, we come to what really are the most prevalent gifts in the body of Christ. 
And the gift of helps is only mentioned as helps one time in the New Testament. And that's over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And here we're looking at it just to see, see where it's mentioned in, in the, one of the four different lists of the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healings, helps. There it is, helps. Administrations, various kinds of tongues. Now, the word translated helps here is found only here in the New Testament. It, it literally has the idea of laying a hold of. It's the idea of helping or assisting somebody else, either like propping them up or helping them with whatever they're doing. And it's like the old English word sucker. Not, not the thing that comes on a stick, sucker, S-U-C-C-O-R, which means literally to run up to somebody to help them, to give them aid. You see somebody that's teetering on the ramp, and what do you do? You sucker to help them. That's, what's, that's what the old English word means. So in the context of the spiritual gifts, it's like running up to someone to help them in their service and their work. And so the idea of helps is that you're helping someone else do something. See, with the gift of mercy, you are lending a hand to those who are unable to help themselves. With the gift of helps, you're coming alongside and joining someone in his or her service. Suppose I'm out in my yard and I'm raking leaves and the job is just too, too big for me. Too jo- you know, you're going by, I think the pastor's going to pass out. He's out there raking leaves. You know, he, he shouldn't be do that. And so somebody comes up and they help by either picking up a rake and they start raking and helping me. Or the helper might want to take something else off my plate. And he says, well, okay, I'll, I'll keep raking. Why don't you go clean your gutters? And I say, no, you clean my gutters. I'll keep, I'll keep raking. And the gift of help says, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, so it helps me to do what I am unable to do. And therefore, C. Peter Wagner defines the gift of helps this way. The gift of helps is the special ability that God gives to some members of the body of Christ to invest the talents they have in the life and ministry of other members of the body, thus enabling the person helped to increase the effectiveness of his or her spiritual gifts. And so like the gift of mercy, the gift of helps tends to still be one-on-one. Where the gift of mercy is to the down and out and those who are suffering, the gift of helps is coming and helping other Christians who are exercising their gifts for the common good of the body. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy's second second letter to Timothy chapter 1 at, at verse 15. In the first chapter of 2 Timothy, we see a sample of someone who has the gift of helps, as well as the gift of mercy. His name is Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus went to Rome where to help Paul in prison when pretty much everybody else had abandoned Paul. He showed mercy to Paul, and he helped Paul, and he had previously helped Paul in his ministry in Ephesus. And so in verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul wrote, and this is to Timothy, you are aware of the act that that all who are in Asia, Asia is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, Ephesus is a city in modern-day, or in, in Asia at that time, they turned away from me, among whom are 
Phygelus, and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. Onesiphorus, who was from Ephesus in Asia, where everyone else had turned away from Paul, he traveled to Rome, he searched for him, he would have gone from prison to prison, from cell to cell, to find Paul. And he found Paul, and Paul says he often refreshed me. That word translated fresh means to breathe air into. He breathed air into me. Onesiphorus, showing mercy to Paul, breathed life-giving air into him. He, he would have given him food. He would have given him water. He would have wiped his brow. He would have ministered to him in prison. All in a way that Paul says he refreshed me. The merciful will receive mercy so Paul says of Onesiphorus, verse 18, The Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, probably the day of the coming of the Lord. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Now we don't know what services Onesiphorus rendered to Paul while they were both in Ephesus and Paul was ministering, but I would see that as his gift of helps to come alongside Paul, to do those things that Paul couldn't, couldn't do at all, couldn't do by himself. He helped Paul with his ministry. He was a helper who worked alongside Paul so Paul could finish, fulfill his ministry and service. And we have another example of the gift of helps in, in Romans chapter 16, the 16th chapter of Romans. While Onesiphorus had the gift of mercy and helps, now we find a woman who has the gifts of helps and service. Her name was Phoebe. And most likely it was Phoebe who hand-carried Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. And so Paul is given an introduction to, to Rome, to Phoebe, in verse 1 of uh, Romans chapter 16. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant which, who, of the church which is at Centria. Literally, Phoebe is a diaconess. Does that sound familiar? A deaconess in the church at Centria, a servant. And he says that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. This, this is so cool. You help her in her ministry, give her help to carry out her ministry in, in Rome. So Paul writes, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Here is a servant of the church who has exercised her gifts of helps to many others to whom she ministered with. With the gift of helps, you're coming alongside and joining someone in his or her work of service in the body of Christ. And that brings us to the gift of service. The gift of service is not so much the one-on-one -on -one kind of ministry, person-to-person -person gift, like the gift of mercy and helps, the gift of service is more task-oriented. Wagner defines the gift of service as, the gift of service is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to identify the unmet needs involved in a task related to God's work and to make use of available resources to meet those needs and help accomplish the desired goals. Now, the gift of service is mentioned several times in the New Testament, and we find it in that same passage in Romans we, we read this morning, 
where we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, we are to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving. There's our word again, diakonia. Diakonia, service or ministry. The first seven deacons chosen in Acts chapter 6 were servants. They served the widows in the distribution of the food. And people with the gift of service often have a, a wide range of abilities and talents. You know, I'm just amazed at a guy who can fix a car and fix a washing machine or, or, or do, you know, fix the tractor so you can drive it, those kind of things. And those are just some examples. But, they, you know, they have all these talents, natural talents and abilities, plus the spiritual gift of service to offer when the need arises. You know, when we were at Stonebriar Community Church in Frisco, Texas, there was a group of men in the church who fixed automobiles. That, that was their, their ministry. They did it for single moms, they did it for widows, and they even did it for seminary students. They came to wherever the car was, wherever the need was, wherever it was broke down, whether it was in the driveway or down on Main Street or whatever, and they fixed it right there. And these wonderful servants kept our van going that time, had 280,000 miles on it. You know, you know, that was a miracle within itself. And then it came time that we were leaving Frisco and uh, we were going to, to go to Coeur d'Alene to, to ministry. And, and I also knew that they were always saying, you'd see it in the bulletin, if you have a car that you don't want, you can drop it off at the church and uh, we'll take it. You know, and they were thinking of these cars that probably still had some life in them. They could still fix them, but ours didn't have much life in it. So I spent two hours just getting it started one morning. And I drove it to Stonebuyer Community Church, and I dropped it off, and I said, you know, the men's ministry, they said that they'll take any car. And I said, you're not going to be able to get this one started. And I handed the title to her, and I said, tongue-in-cheek, you are now the proud owner, owner of a fine automobile. <laughs> and she laughed, you know. And then we got to Coeur d'Alene, and they had our four-week address. And a few weeks later, I got a giving statement in the mail that said this, thank you for your gift to Stonebuyer Community Church for zero dollars. They'd fill in zero. <laughs> yeah. Now that's a servant's ministry. They even took the car off our hands by serving us, and we didn't have to find a junkyard or get it towed or, or whatever. The use of the gift of service in the body is as wide and broad as the ministries of the church itself. Ushers, social committees, deacons, deaconesses, welcoming committees, mowing the lawn, cleaning and maintaining the church, decorating, working in the nursery, running the sound and the projector, working in the church office, providing and arranging flowers, helping with youth work, working in the church. I said working in the church office. I'll mention that twice. What a blessing. <laughs> Fixing up things around here. Those of you with the gift of service see and meet very practical needs. So if service is your gift, you are the first person or a group to notice the needs of others and step forward to meet those needs. God gives you a special sensitivity to those believers, to these believers, and sometimes they'll think of another person and they'll, they'll just have this intuition, as it were, from the Holy Spirit, and they'll feel the desire to serve them in some way. Uh, those with the gift of service often have a strong desire to be with other people. These are the least likely people to be loners. They, though they never neglect to spend time with God, they truly enjoy being with other people. See, you can't serve people unless you spend time with them. 
So they're always looking for opportunities to meet people and become involved in their lives. And like the gift of mercy, there's something that we need to be, the rest of us need to be aware of concerning people with this gift. Those with the gift of service need approval and they need recognition. That's just part of it. Now, it's, it's not affirmation and recognition that would inflate their ego because they, they don't, it doesn't, does not inflate the ego of a servant of God. These are signs of approval that confirm that the service has been effective. Every one of us with our spiritual gifts, we need to be constantly evaluating what is, how can I be a more effective servant of God, whether it's preaching or whatever. You know, I, I go over the sermons that I preached. I, I pray about it when I preach another sermon. I listen to other people preach and those kind of things. Constantly evaluating, Lord, is this effective as you want me to be? And when we thank somebody who has served us in Christ, when we thank these servants, we have given evidence to them that they provided significant help. And they need that evidence just like the rest of us. These believers need to be reminded that the smaller task can be important too because they enable others to perform the more higher profile ones. Also, those with the gift of service meet needs very quickly. Believers with the gift of service are seldom procrastinators. They're quick to action when they observe a practical need. And they can get very frustrated with the bureaucracy that's just in a church. You know, it can be highly frustrating to get approval or that or that and the other thing. And those with the gift of service, they just want to get in and get the work done. And so a server will often volunteer to serve in a church-related or group-related projects, and you can count on them to be one of the people who are still around at the end of the project. They will see it through to completion. And quite frankly, many servers would rather carry out responsibilities themselves and be done with it than assigning the task to someone else. And someone said of the gift of servers, and uh, how appropriate for this morning, because we're going to see this application take place in just a few minutes. How's that for a build-up? In a set of servers, they are the ones washing dishes after we've gone home. They are the ones putting up the chairs while we crawl over them to get to the exits. They are the ones who ask if they can help carry or clean or deliver when everyone else is heading home to their cars. They enjoy the party best if they're in the kitchen or at the barbecue pit or handing out the food. They want to be served, or we want to be served. They want to serve. And if you think about it, isn't that true about all the spiritual gifts that God gives us? We are in need of every one of the gifts being ministered to us, and every one of the gifts they want to minister to us as well. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do, we do thank you for those that have the gift of mercy and, and helps and service. Each one of us here are in need of somebody ministering to us in that way at, at different times through our, our journey through life, Father. And we thank you for them. Father, I thank you for all of those who have worked hard at putting together our in-gathering dinner today. And Father, there's some downstairs that don't even... Know that we're praying for him right now, but we thank you for each one. Father, it is such a, a blessing to us, Lord. And Father, I pray that uh, 
they would each be blessed. That you would give each one as they exercise and use their spiritual gifts for the common good of the body, Father, that they would have that affirmation that comes from you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.